That's what we're talking about tonight. Does Christianity bring women down? And uh, to properly answer this question, you, you can't just take one piece out of the Bible because that's what some people have done. They've taken one piece out of it, but you have to look at everything as a whole and then you make your claim on that. So let's start out tonight by asking another question. Have you ever been misunderstood for something because people didn't have the whole picture? I I know that I've told y'all stories about whenever I was younger and uh, I started fires and those are ridiculous (laughs) stories. And so that was, it was not just one time, it was two times. And I was around Bodie's age, it was around six to seven years old. And I can't, you know, I can't believe that basically that I'm here today. I'm blessed to be alive with all the silly things that I did in my childhood. Um, the thing that I was misunderstood about was not that I started the fire. I definitely had a part in that. I'll explain what it, what was mister what was misunderstood. So we ran back to our house after starting this fire, and this was next to the bowling alley in this little creek, and. We thought that we could put it out, but we could not put it out. And so it, it started getting out of control. And so I was little and I was dumb. So don't take this as an excuse to start fires. Nobody, I do not condone this behavior. This was ridiculous. So anyways, we get back to the house and my brother, he, he's going to be smart. And he decides to change his shirt in case someone saw us running. And at that at that moment, I decided that I would take the blame for the whole thing. I was going to be the hero to my brother. And uh, he agreed to the proposition. Of course he agreed to that. He's like, yeah, you can take the whole blame. And so the cops ended up coming to my house. And so I'm, I'm just a little kid, you know. And I admit to everything. And, of course, I was disciplined by my dad. And I, t- I told my dad that my brother didn't have a part in it. And after I was disciplined, I'm sitting in my room. My brother mocks me because he's able to do whatever he wants. He's, he's just chilling in the hallway and he's like, yeah, what's up? Like I can just hang out. And so he starts playing Nintendo. And when he started playing Nintendo, I was like, that's it. Like, I've got to tell the truth. I've got to tell what really happened. So I told my dad that my brother really did have a part in it. And he, of course, he did not believe me. I wouldn't, I wouldn't even believe that, you know. And so he's like, "Boy, you know, you're lying. If you if you continue to lie, then you're gonna, then you'll get disciplined even more." So this just goes to show how frustrating it is when someone doesn't have the whole picture, and they base they base an opinion on you on one small fact or a lie. And how frustrating is that? It's, it's pretty frustrating, right? When someone doesn't have the whole picture and they base something on just one portion of it, in those moments, you can't wait for the truth to come out. You can't wait to prove yourself. You can't wait for the good to be shown and you can't wait for the wrong to be made right. And so that's what I want to do, do tonight. If, if someone holds the belief that Christianity brings women down, I want them to know the truth. I want them to know how much women are valued. So, We'll start at the beginning. As we go through this message, I think that you're going to see an overarching theme. And there's a lot of scripture in this, but I think the scripture is awesome. And so it's a, it's a beautiful picture of God's love. It's, it's redemption. And so let's first examine how God did design this life. So God could have designed this life 
where sexual reproduction was not needed. He could have designed it where a male and a female were not needed to produce life. So why did God design it this way? And I think the answer is simple. I think that we are relational and God created male and female in his likeness. He told them to be fruitful and multiply and increase in number. Our God is relational. Our God is love. And perhaps that couldn't have been shown by one solitary human. So the story is again retold in Genesis 2.18. It says, The Lord God said, It is not good for man to be alone. I will make a helper suitable for him. So in this scripture right here, was the woman created merely to be a helpful assistant to the man? Like, you know, hey, baby, hand me this, or would you please give me that? And the answer to that is absolutely not. That is far from the meaning of the Hebrew word that is used to describe the first woman. So God created the first woman as in, it's spelled E-Z-E-R, but you pronounce it Izer. So Izer is a part of the Hebrew words that's used in this verse right here. And it occurs 20 times in the Old Testament. And 16 out of the 20 times, it refers to God as our help. So that, that gives like a whole new meaning to what this scripture says right here. I'd never looked at this scripture in this light. And God is the one that comes alongside of us in our helplessness. So here's a good example of a well-known verse where God is described as our helper. I'm sure you, you've all heard it. It's in a song. It's Psalm 121, 1 through 2. It says, I lift my eyes up to the hills. Where does my help come from? My help comes from the Lord the maker of heaven and earth. So you can see that Iser does not suggest as someone that's less than. It is a help as in to rescue or to save and to be strong. In other words, it's never used as some someone that's inferior and expresses that the woman is a help, that she's a strength who rescues or saves man. So the woman was not created to serve man, but to serve with the man. And without the man or without the woman, the man was only half the story, and it was not good for man to be alone. So this is how God intended it to be in the very beginning. But in Genesis 3, something changes. Things go terribly wrong, and man and woman break the only command that was given to them. And you probably know the story of of the forbidden tree, known as the tree of the knowledge of good and evil, and the snake that persuaded the woman into eating the forbidden fruit so it would make her like God, knowing good and evil. And the man standing next to her followed her example and ate of the fruit. And the man was told from the very beginning that on the day that he eats from that tree, he will die. So man and woman's roles drastically change after they make this after this decision. And life will be a struggle after this point. So I want to focus on what what is said to the woman in Genesis 3.16. It says, to the woman, he said, I will make your pains in childbearing very severe, With painful labor, you will give birth to children. Your desire will be for your husband, and he will rule over you. So because of their rebellion, the relationship between man and woman has changed, and there's there's a conflict. There's a power struggle, and you can see this all throughout the Old Testament. So, so far, we've gone over just the original design of, of the way God intended it for man and woman, and then that original design was messed up. And the story doesn't end there, and thank God for that. 
there is redemption. And so there are a couple stories of redemption in the Old Testament that I want to focus on that lead to an ultimate love song that, of God for us. And one of these stories is probably one of my favorite stories in the Bible. So the first story is found in Joshua. And this is all know these two stories in the Old Testament. Moses has just passed away and Joshua, he begins to lead the Israelites. And then Joshua is told that no one will be able to stand against him. And that's where that verse that Joshua 1.9, be strong and courageous. Do not be afraid for the Lord your God will be with you wherever you go. So their first mission was to go over the Jordan River and to claim the land that God said would be theirs. And Joshua sent out spies, being a wise leader that he was, into Jericho, and they came to the house of Rahab in the city of Jericho. And the Bible says that she she didn't have the best profession, so she was Rahab was actually a prostitute. And Jericho's king somehow gets wind of this, and he hears of the spies that came to Rahab, and he asked Rahab, but she hid the spies on her flat roof and under some stalks of flax that were drying. So she told the soldiers, the soldiers that came, she said the men had come there, but they had already left. And she didn't know where they went, but if they pursued them, they'd be able to overtake them. So when the coast was clear, Rahab went up to her roof, and then she had this monumental conversation with the spies. This conversation would change her life, and it would change the life of of the others behind her forever. So this is Joshua 2, 8 through 12. We'll have it on the screen. Before the spies lay down for the night, she went up on the roof and said to them, I know that the Lord has given you this land and that a great fear of of you has fallen on us. So all who live in this country are melting in fear because of you. We have heard how the Lord dried up the water of the Red Sea for for you when you came out of Egypt and what you did to Sihon and Og the two king of the Amorites east of the Jordan, whom you completely destroyed. When we heard of it, our hearts melted in fear and everyone's courage fell because of you. For the Lord your God in heaven above and on earth below. Now then, please swear to me by the Lord that you will show kindness to my family because I've shown kindness to you. So Rahab had come to believe that the Israelites' Lord was God in heaven above and on earth below. She had become a a believer in the Lord and was willing to risk her life for God's purposes. And she let the spy slide out her window on a rope safely. And in the end, Rahab and all of her family became one with God's people. So whatever she had done in the past, that was irrelevant. You know, her profession in the past was not very good, but now that's irrelevant. So the next story that I, I've shared this with y'all before, and this is one of my, this is probably one of my favorite stories in the Bible. And this is the story of Ruth. So the book of Ruth starts out with a man named Elimelech and a wife, Naomi. And they're moving from Bethlehem because there's a severe famine. So they leave Bethlehem and they, they're settled in Moab, but then Elimelech dies and Naomi is left with their two sons. So the two sons marry Moabite women. One married a woman named Orpah and the other a woman named Ruth. And about 10 years later, the sons also die. So this left Naomi, Orpah, and Ruth alone without their husbands. So this is the backstory. And I know this is a bunch of stories, but this is going to make sense at the end. Naomi decided to go back to Bethlehem. So she urged Orpah and Ruth. She said, go back to your homes. Go back to where you're from. And go find husbands for yourselves. 
So Orpah agreed, but Ruth resisted. She makes an amazing statement, and this statement reminds me of the boldness that was spoken by Rahab in this story earlier. And like Rahab, this conversation would change her life and lives of others behind her as well. So this is what Ruth said in Ruth 1.16. She said, don't ask me to, to leave you and turn back. Wherever you go, I will go. Wherever you live, I will live. Your people will be my people, and your God will be my God. So Ruth had no idea how this was going to play out. She was, she was committing herself to go to another land from her land. And this land that she was going to, they despised her people. But Ruth knew that Naomi had no one else to take care of her. And the most important decision that she made was, your God will be my God. So the story continues on with Ruth working in the fields to provide for Naomi and herself. And she's basically picking up leftovers that the harvesters did not pick up. And she's noticed by the owner of the field, his name is Boaz, and he learns of Ruth's faithfulness and he treats her so well. So she was able to eat with the harvesters and they left some of the good grain for her to pick up as well. And this part is straight out of scripture. And I did that because it's beautiful as well. After he did this for he, Ruth fell at his feet and thanked him warmly. She said, what, what have I done to deserve such kindness? And she asked, I'm only a foreigner. And he said, yes, I know, Boaz replied. But I also know about everything that you've done for your mother-in-law since the death of your husband. I've heard how you left your father and your mother and your own land to live here among complete strangers. May the Lord, the God of Israel, under whose wings you have come to take refuge, reward you fully for what you have done. So she continued to work in the fields from springtime till that early summer. And if you continue reading in Ruth, you see that Boaz becomes Ruth's family redeemer. And he's a respectful man. And it was also very important for everyone to know that she, that Ruth was a virtuous woman. So Boaz took Ruth as his wife and Ruth gave birth to a son. So this is one of the last verses in Ruth that you're about to see why the story of redemption, the story of redemption is of Ruth is actually tied into this way bigger story. So Ruth 4:16 through 17, it said, Naomi took the baby and cuddled him to her breast. This is the one that she had with, with Boaz. And she cared for him as if he were her own. And the neighbor women said, now at last, Naomi has a son again. And they named him Obed. And he became the father of Jesse and the grandfather of David. So that's the part that I want y'all to latch on to right there. Their child, Obed, became the father of Jesse and then the grandfather of King David. And I think that's so cool. So I want to fast forward. So this is the Old Testament. Fast forward into Matthew 1.5, and you'll notice how this fits together even more. So Matthew 1.5, it says, Salmon was the father of Boaz, whose mother was Rahab. So the father or the, the mother of Boaz is Rahab, the one that redeemed Ruth. And then Boaz was the father of Obed, whose mother was Ruth. And then Obed was the father of Jesse, and Jesse the father of King David. And Rahab and Ruth are both listed in Matthew 1 for, for one reason. They're among the ancestors of Jesus Christ. So both of these stories show the value that God has for women. 
and what what an honor it is to be part of the ancestors of Jesus Christ. And each woman in these stories, they didn't remain in the state that they were. It shows how God used these two women to accomplish his purposes in the world. And he placed value on Rahab and Ruth, their stories of redemption. And I think that Ruth especially embodies what it means to be an Iser woman. She is, she is a help and a strength in man's helplessness. So although Boaz was already so blessed, he was blessed so much more by having Ruth as his wife. And you can see how much loyalty that she's, that she displays, like even in dark, uncertain times. And she continued to work hard and to be faithful. So these two stories right here, they lead us to Jesus. And we will never understand the Bible's call on man and, and a woman unless we see that Jesus is the ultimate man. He had strength to command storms, summon angels, defeat death, but his arms held little children. His words elevated women and his hands reached out to heal the sick. Jesus, Jesus drove traitors out of the temple with a whip, but he tenderly welcomed the outcasts and the weak. And you can see that when you look at the stories of Jesus, the value that Jesus placed on women, guys, this was, this was a difficult message to, to go through because there's, there are so many stories that could have been used. I'm going to go through just two that are a part of Jesus's story right here. And this is the New Testament. In Luke 7, Jesus is dining at Simon the Pharisee's house when a sinful woman disrupts the party. And she has this alabaster jar that it's full of perfume, expensive perfume. And she began to wipe his feet with her tears and her hair. And she also, she kissed and poured the perfume on his feet. And Simon said to himself, like, if this man were a prophet, he would know that the one that is touching him and what kind of woman she is, that she's a sinner. In the culture of the time, Simon had every advantage. He is a man, and she was a woman. He is religiously admired, and she was despised. He's hosting a dinner party, and she's weeping in a prostate embarrassment. But according to Jesus, she surpassed Simon on every account. The second story is found in John 8, and the teachers of the law, and I'm sure that you've heard this story as well. The teachers of the law and Pharisees bring in a woman who's caught in adultery, and they made her stand in the group in front of everyone. She said, teacher, this woman was caught in adultery. In the law, Moses commanded us to stone such women. So what do you say? This is when Jesus bent down. He started drawing on the ground with his finger. And this is what he said. He said, let any one of you who's without sin be the first to throw a stone at her. And one by one, they all walked away. He had forced the male accusers to acknowledge that they were not morally superior to the woman, for they had sinned too. So throughout Jesus' life, we're able to see how he consistently viewed the world. He viewed the world through the eyes of his father, and his his value for women was unmistakable. And that is what I want to end with tonight. There's so much that could have been included in this message. I consider I consider that a great thing, because what a blessing it is to know much to know how much God values women. What a blessing it is to know how God values us. One thing is very evident when I'm living my life, just on a personal aspect, when I live my life in accordance to what God wants, I show my love and I show my appreciation for Lindsay so much more. And she deserves to be valued because she's a precious daughter of God. 
And this is what Ephesians 5.25 says, it calls me to do as a husband. It says, husbands, love your wives just as Christ loved the church and gave himself up for her. There's no greater love than this. And Lindsay has a tall order as a wife as well. And some initially, they might think that this is bringing women down, but it's just the opposite. Ephesians 5.22 says, Wives, submit to your husbands as you do to the Lord. So submission, I think that's something that's difficult for everyone. But Lindsay, she gave me some insight on submission years back, and I was dumbfounded when she gave me this perspective. She said that submission is actually a gift. When I love the way that, that I'm supposed to, according to Scripture, submission gives her freedom. It allows her to not bear the burden. And this makes sense. You know, when I wholeheartedly submit to Jesus Christ, he has lifted the burden of sin from me and from everyone so that we can live our lives the way that he has called us to live. We have been called to live a life of freedom and confidence because of Jesus. When I love Lindsay the way that I'm supposed to, it gives her freedom and confidence to be the woman that God has called her to be. And I do see her as a, a helper that is strong, that rescues and saves me. The way that she lifts me up is indescribable. She champions me as a husband. She wants what's best for me. She builds me up as a father to our children. She builds me up as a youth pastor. I couldn't do a fraction of what I do today without her. She is my counterpart. And how can I not love her the way that she deserves to be loved? So I've, I've heard it put this way, and I think this is a great analogy too. We're like two hands. So the right hand and the left hand, they're opposite of each other. One hand is not more important than the other hand. And to, together, the hands can do so much more. So they're stronger together, and you can get more done with less effort when using both hands. So I want to be clear that I'm not saying that everyone needs to get married. I'm just sharing what has been revealed to me by marriage. Man or woman, you are designed specifically for a purpose. You're valued. What is very clear that is that almost all of my arguments that show the value of God place that the value that God places on women have one thing in common, and that's Jesus. That is the love song that we all fit into, and that is the story of redemption that we fit into. I'll pray, and then we'll, we'll break up into small groups. Lord, thank you for this day. Thank you for the way that you value each and every one of us. Father, thank you for the way that you value women. Lord, and just, I'm, I'm so grateful just for the way that you've designed your kingdom, Father. And I pray that we just see that with clear eyes, that during this youth group that we'd gain in wisdom, Father, and that we would gain your perspective the perspective of, of Jesus, Father. Lord, thank you so much for the way you love us. It's in your precious holy name we pray. Amen. Thank you all.